It's good to see you. How many of you guys love Jesus today? Let me hear from you. Come on. All right. All right. I love it, man. I love that. Um, thank you guys for being here at New Life today. That's going to be a unique day. My name's Jeff. I have the privilege of uh, being one of the, the teaching pastors and uh, also serve as the lead pastor here. And so I just want to say thanks a lot for being a part of our church here today. I know you guys, uh, if you're a guest here with us, you had a number of churches that you could have chosen uh, to worship at, at any one of our communities whether that's in North Platte or Ogallala or even online, but you chose new life. And so I really believe that God then has a message for you today, right? I believe that God's going to speak something today because you're here to hear his word. And uh, his word is going to speak something to you today that's going to bring life to you. Uh, but today we're wrapping up a teaching series we called FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions. And um, like we talked about throughout the series, this is week four, and we let you guys pick the topic I had all kinds of, of options to choose from. People texted in all kinds of different options. I had, you know, prophetic questions like, who, what's, what, when is Jesus coming back? Who's the Antichrist, right? Um, should I spend all of my retirement or not? Uh, you know, those kind of questions. Um, I, I had other, like, you know, questions about transhumanism. Anybody know what transhumanism is? Or the singularity? Um, so I had questions about that, um, which by the way, thank you, thank you, uh, appreciate that. And then uh, I had questions that dealt with like theological riddles. Yeah, I want to say thank you to those who sent in the theological riddles. My entire week was wasted trying to solve those. Um, and uh, so I'm obviously not going to be preaching on one of those. And then I had a lot of good basic Bible 101, 201, 301, 401 level questions. And I want to thank you guys for putting all of that together and sending in those, those questions because you got to pick the topic today. My, heart, my heart's heavy today um, and the reason it is because my heart was surprised today that this was the topic that I was going to have to study God's word for. And the topic deals with what does the Bible have to say about all forms of, of, of abuse. That's the topic. And uh, my, heart, my heart's heavy because I know that that kind of a question doesn't just randomly get said. It doesn't randomly get asked. It, it gets asked from people that are going through abusive situations. It gets asked from people that are trying to help others who are going through abusive situations. It's getting asked from people that are saying, look, I've been abused in my past. I don't know what to do with this pain. This pain still is in me. I'm trying to move beyond it, but I don't know exactly what to do, right? So should I hang on to my hurts or should I let them go? The question was being asked even from the aspect of divorce where one spouse has been abandoned by another spouse and literally just told, I don't love you anymore, and now this is, being, this is happening to them. So abuse in all forms and in all fashions. And I know that that kind of question is heavy, and so I want you to know today from your pastor and from our pastoral staff and from all of our campus pastors, we, we recognize that in our church there is pain. And some of that pain is coming from abuse. And I want you to know today that, that uh, you're loved, that we heard you, and more importantly, God, God sees you. And God has a solution for you today. And so I want to open up God's word and I kind of want to go into the deep side today. And I want to look at what does the Bible say about abuse. 
And um, to do that, I thought, you know what, today, man, since it's a little heavier of a message, let's just get a table, right? Let's, um, let's get a stool. Um, let's get some coffee. Um, mine is a, a, a tea because coffee dries out my throat. So um, if you don't have your coffee with you, right, then it's too late. Um, there's no host coming around with carafes, all right? Uh, you probably could get up and sneak out to the lobby, all right, if you're sitting at the end, all right? If you're at the end and you're going for coffee, please make sure that others in your row, you know, get noticed and maybe bring them some coffee as well. Um, but I want to kind of just have the attitude of sitting down with you over a cup of coffee. If it was just you and I at a coffee shop and you asked me this question about abuse and what does the Bible say about it, um, I would like to have a, a conversation with you in that capacity. I would really rather not uh, preach a sermon uh, as much as I would like to have a dialogue with you about it. So if you would uh, accommodate that for me, that would be awesome. If you are a guest here with us, please know that this is really different than what we normally do. And if your friend brought you and they said, look, this guy is funny. Like he's going to tell some serious jokes. He's really transparent. Uh, Today's going to be a little different. It's going to be a little different, and so you know, you're, you're going to want to come back and, and hang out with us a little bit more. Uh, so let's just let's, di- let's dive in. We all live in this world, this world that um, you know has amazing good things, and it has some incredibly horrific things. And people ask the question often, like, why, why is that? Like, God, God can do anything, so why doesn't God step in and stop? like abuse and these kinds of things that are going on. And I, w- I would suggest to you and say to you that it doesn't go unnoticed by God. And God is at the work of doing something. But God um, set up humanity with one critical component, um, which was necessary uh, for our own salvation and for our worship. And that was, called, um, that was called really the ability for us to make our own decisions, right? Uh, our ability to to make a decision and stick with it or make a decision and abandon it. And God was looking for free will to, for us to freely choose to worship him. But he also knew that with that free will was eventually going to come pain. And so because we live on this, this world and we're doing life with other human beings, other human beings tend to cause pain for one another. And um, I, I don't know about you, but uh, if you live on this planet long enough, you will eventually experience pain and serious pain at times that are caused by other humans to other humans. And, you know, I've been the recipient of, of human beings that have helped me to achieve some of my greatest moments of joy on this earth and some of my greatest moments of despair on this earth. And unfortunately, I'm just one guy who's transparent enough to say it that unfortunately I know that I have been a part of helping people accomplish some amazing things and experience incredible joy and I've also been on the other side, and um, I've been the one inflicting pain. And if you live on this earth long enough, you're probably going to find yourself on, on both of those spectrums. And you're going to end up in a place where, um, you know, you're not, you're not going to like the fact that maybe you were a part of causing pain. Now, often the pain that we cause one another, and the pain I'm referring to that I've caused, is things that can be resolved quickly. But there is another pain that gets brought on by abuse that leaves scars and wounds upon a person's life that aren't resolved quickly. In fact, many of those scars, pains, 
memories and current existence of abuse going on um, is, is things that go deep into the heart. They affect a person in a severe way, even to the point of a PTSD um, type of response to other scenarios that are going on in life, and, it, and it's super, super serious. And so what I wanted to do is this. I want to take you immediately now to God's Word, and I want you to see what is God's heart really towards abuse. And surprisingly enough, um, and to actually even my surprise, I came across the passage of Scripture that uh, I don't know that I, it has ever jumped off the page at me like this one did. And it really kind of focuses in in two simple verses, and it tells you what is the synopsis of God's heart when it comes to abuse. And then what you start to see is throughout the rest of God's word, you see this synopsis being played over and over and over and over again. I want to take you to what God's heart is towards abuse in Psalms chapter 10, verses 17 through 18. I want you to read this with me so that you really kind of absorb it yourself, right? Oh, Lord. You hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and to the oppressed. So that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. I'm just going to tell you right now, you're going to want to write this verse down. And if you don't have something to write it down with, then you're going to want to have the Bible app that we use, version. <clears throat> you're going to have that downloaded on your phone and click on events and pull up my sermon notes that are right there for you today. This is not a verse you're going to ever want to lose. You want to get this verse, you want to hold it in your back pocket, because for some of you it's applicable for now. Others of you, it was something you wish you would have had for months ago, and for many of you it's going to be something you're going to need in your future as you're helping to rescue someone from an abusive situation. I want to go back and I just kind of want to read it one more time. That Lord, this is our God, right? You hear the desire of the afflicted. You hear them, right? You hear it. The, the, you hear the heart of, of the abused. <clears throat> you will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear, meaning you get close to, right? You get close to them. For what? To do justice on their behalf, right, of the oppressed. So that man who is the uh, abuser, right, who is of the earth may strike terror no more. And there's good news that's found in this verse. There's great news for the person that is in this room today, hearing my voice in one of our auditoriums, sitting at home, listening to this uh, message like two years from now. There's good news for you that God is for you. If you are being abused, God is for you. There is hope for the abused today because God is on your side. And this one scripture showed us Six critical things about the character of God towards abuse. First off, God hates abuse. That was super clear. Overall, the entire, the entire thing, if you just want to do the synopsis of 17 and 18, it would be one simple statement, God hates abuse. Then you start breaking down the verse, and what, is, what, what are the things you start to see? You start to see that God hears the abused. It read, we read it right there. Then what did we read next? We read that God strengthens the heart of the abused, right? Then what was the next thing that we saw? The God inclining himself, that God is close to the abused. And then what was next? Dealing with the justice, God protects the abused. And then lastly, what did God do to man who was on this earth? He shut, God shut down the abuser. 
Those six things are critical to know about God, the creator of all things, Jesus Christ, right, who walked this earth, gave his life on the cross, and died on the cross for you. This is his heart. He hates abuse. He hears the abused. He strengthens the abused. He's close to the abused. He protects the abused. And in God's timing, he shuts down the abuser. I don't know about you, but that's good news. Amen? That's hope right there, right off the bat. And in this one verse, you get all of it. Just boom, it's just sitting there thick like God's heart. So today in our discussion that we're going to have, let's let that verse be our outline. And let's let those six things really be the outline that we discuss today as we dig deeper into God's word about each of those issues. So first off, let's, let's jump into the idea that God hates abuse. And when we think about that, that really means that God hates all forms of abuse. He hates it. And let me tell you why. Because abuse is sin. Abuse is sin. And God, there's this disdain in God's heart towards sin. And that's like abuse of all kinds. Abuse from an authority, abuse from a spouse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, religious abuse, physical abuse, even sexual abuse. And that whole domineering, controlling abuse that where one person through abuse is trying to control and dominate another person. That God hates abuse. In fact, in Psalms 11 verse 5 it says that the Lord examines both the righteous and the wicked. He hates those who love violence. He hates those who have a heart bent towards abusing, manipulating, controlling other people for their own selfish gain. And there's another reason why God hates abuse, and that's because of the harm that it brings to the victim. And unfortunately today is a message that's going to stir up memories for some people, and I'm sorry that this message stirs up the pain of the past, but you know better than anyone else if you've been in an abusive relationship, the cruelty that's brought, the violence that's brought, um, the sexual assault and what the marks that leaves on a person's you know, own psyche, the fear that, it, that, is, that is brought in those kind of situations, the horrific memories and the words that wound deeply that are hard to get away from as they continue to echo in your mind. It's part of why God hates abuse because God hates what it does to his creation that he loves dearly. But also it really shows us that that means that God's wrath is against the abuser. And there's really no better place to see God's heart towards an abuser and God's heart for the abused than to go back into the book of Exodus and to look very clearly at the story of God's people as they are under the oppressive and abusive leadership of the Egyptian government of that time being Pharaoh and his army. And the people are literally being abused in this situation. What happens in the beginning of the book of Exodus, and by the way, this is going to be like the shortest synopsis of Exodus ever, all right, in today's message, because you could take down, you could, you could take the whole journey of Exodus and break it into a couple of different series, right, and preach it over eight weeks at least. So... In just a few minutes, I want to help you grasp it. So do all that you can to remember, if you have any biblical past knowledge you know, in your life, do your best with me to remember the story, right? And join with me um, on this. I'm going to have to leave out a lot. But in the beginning of the book of Exodus, what you find is this, that the Israelites have been flourishing in Egypt. And they have been growing in population to the point where Pharaoh is concerned. He's concerned about the fact that their enemies from the outside might conspire with the um, Israelites on the inside. 
and they might overthrow their government and take over their country. So overnight, Pharaoh decides what we're going to do is we're going to make all the Israelites our slaves. So they go from this like living in this land, slightly oppressed, to now becoming abused under slavery with a tyrant over them that really disdains them, has a hatred for them, and wants to do everything he can to keep them from overturning his own government. So he's the, the abuser is operating out of this fear, right? Instead of being the one that blesses God's people, he's operating out of this fear and, and his, in, his own insecurities that are causing him to lash out against God's people in some horrific ways. So the, the, the stronger, though, that the tyrant buckles down on the Israelites, I want you to see something that happens. Here's the crazy thing. He was worried about them growing too large. As he buckles down on them and becomes more like brutal against them, it says in the Bible that the Israelites just keep having more and more kids. It's crazy, right? It's like backfiring on him. So now he's going, now he's going, what am I going to do now? So now he gets midwives and he says to the midwives, look, when the Israelites have babies, I want you to kill all the boys. But they fear God too much, and so they don't do it. So then, you know, he gets really upset, so he has the army. You know, if, look, if a mom's got a boy, you take that boy and you kill him, all right? And so I only want girls. Like, I don't want this population to get out of control. And that's where the whole Moses is born issue. Moses ends up in the basket floating down the river, and then it's like Pharaoh's family finds him, takes him in, and starts raising him. Until Moses, you know, is like a young adult, and he ends up seeing the abuse that's happening to his own people, and he gets really ticked off about it, and he kills a, uh, an, a, a soldier you know, of the Egyptian army. And now Pharaoh's mad at him and chases him out of town, and then Moses goes out into the desert where he's herding sheep, and he comes across one night this bush that's on fire, and God meets with him on the backside of the desert, and this is what we hear from God. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 through 8, it says, then the Lord told Moses, I have certainly, and watch this guys, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians. So what is it that we start to see? We instantly start to see that second point, really, Right? That God hears the abused. He said it right there. Moses, I heard them. I've witnessed the fact that their slave drivers, right, are brutal and that they're against them. I've, I've seen all of that and God's going, I've heard them. I'm going to take action. I'm coming down to do something, right? And I just want you to know today, right, that uh, if, if, if you experience abuse in any shape, fashion, or form, you need to know that when you cry out to God, he hears you. And the good news is you're crying out to one who hears you and is capable, able, and willing to do something to rescue the abused. And that's who God is towards his people, and that's still who God is in this world today. And when you cry out to God as the abused, God hears you. When you cry out to God on behalf of the abused... God hears you as well. So we are to be advocates in our prayer, you know, for the abused. And the, the abused needs to know that they he, the, the creator, he hears them. Back to, the, back to the, uh, the Exodus story. Moses is at the bush and he's arguing with God. And he's like, God, I don't think I can do this. It's a big assignment. I don't know if I want to go back there. I think they're, gonna, they're still hunting me. 
<clears throat> through the process, God eventually gets the attention of Moses. Moses goes, okay, I'll go, right? I'm going to go do this. And so Moses goes, he's starting traveling back to Egypt. He gets there and he meets with the elders of Israel, the leaders of Israel who are living in this abusive, oppressed environment that these slave drivers are brutal towards them, right? And when he meets with them, he tells them what God says. He tells them that God heard you, that God heard your cries, and that God's coming to rescue you. And look what happens in Exodus chapter 4, verse 31. It says that when they, the, the leadership of Israel, heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, what did they do? They bowed down and they worshiped. What was happening there? What was going on? God was strengthening them. And this is the third thing that we know about God, that God strengthens the heart of the abused. He was encouraging them right then at that moment. Guys, you're not alone in this. I haven't forgot about you. I know you've been praying, you've been feeling like nothing's going on, and for some of you, you might be walking through an abusive situation, you've been praying and feeling like nothing's going on, what what do I do from now? And I just want you to know, God has heard you, and God's attempting to strengthen you. He's attempting to build you up. And so what happens with Moses? Well, Moses, after that, he goes to Pharaoh, and he says the famous words, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, you know, not going to happen. And so then what does God do? God starts sending plagues against Pharaoh and against Egypt, right? Plague after plague after plague after plague. Gnats, frogs, like uh, boils, darkness, you know, I mean, locusts. And the list goes on and on, water turning to blood. I mean, it was just horrific. Any smart leader would have backed down except for this very unique thing. God was sending the plagues on one side, and on the other side, God was hardening the heart of Pharaoh to not submit to the suffering that was happening to him and his people. Isn't that interesting? I mean, that's, isn't that it's amazing to me that God sends this pain and destruction against the abuser, and he makes the abuser so hard-hearted that he can't even make a wise decision and get himself out of it. So watch this. What were the plagues really for then? Who were the plagues really for? And I would suggest to you that the plagues were from God to strengthen his people so that they could, you know, get their mind screwed on straight and get their heart twisted back out of this abusive you know, relationship they've been in with Egypt and get to a place where they can start trusting God again, that when God comes to rescue them, it's not just a man, Moses, but it was the almighty God that was coming to rescue them and they could trust him. That the plagues were the manifest power and presence of God to strengthen his people. And when God finally got his people to where he needed them to be to trust him so he could rescue them from the abuser, Then the last plague came, which was horrific. The last plague, it took the life of the firstborn of every Egyptian. Firstborn child. It took the firstborn of all their livestock. And what was amazing that throughout this entire process, all these plagues, and even to that one, that God kept, he kept sealed the Israelites. He protected them from all those those plagues. And, 
In the end, they covered their doorposts with the blood of a spotless lamb. And still to this day, the Jewish culture celebrates the Passover of when the the angel of death came and liberated them from Egypt. Where God moved miraculously and God spared the Israelites and preserved them and and then started to take them out of that slavery. And I just think that's a powerful picture of how God moves. And so... As they start to flee into the wilderness, right, because Pharaoh basically says, look, I demand you guys to leave here. Get out of here now. Like, he finally, like, gets to his senses. As the Israelites depart, they part, they depart through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And God was with them the entire time. It wasn't like God said, look, I already did all these things, now trust me. It was like God, I, God goes, look, I've already done all these things to... Help the abuser get to a place where they could trust, or the abused, excuse me, to get to a place where they could trust God. But God says, I'm not just doing that, I'm going to go with you. And in Exodus 13, 21, this is what we see happening. As soon as the Israelites start to depart out of the, out of, uh, the control of Pharaoh into the wilderness, heading for their own freedom, that the Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided a light at night with a pillar of of fire. And so what does that really show us? It shows us the fourth characteristic of God that God is close to the abused. He came and was with them. And his presence led them through the wilderness. And he was leading them really to the Red Sea where there was going to be a miraculous crossing that was going to have to take place, but that pillar of cloud, the presence of God, fire in it at night, leading them even in the evening. God was close to them. And the Israelites, they saw and they felt God's power and provision, obviously through all those plagues, but now they were seeing and feeling God's power and guidance and closeness now through that cloud by day and that fire by night. And I just want you to know today that, look, if you're ministering to someone who is abused, you need to tell them today, right, that every tear they have cried in that abusive relationship hasn't been cried alone, it's been cried with God. Every moment of fear that, you know, a person who is being abused has felt, has not been felt alone in a dark room by themselves, but it's been felt with God. And that's an important thing for us to hang on to and for us to know and for us to remind people of because it's the goodness of God that draws close to the abused. And it shows us that, you know, God, God has a special closeness with those who are being abused and especially those who are willing to take those bold first steps and start to walk out of abuse. That when you walk out of abuse, you're not walking out alone, but you're walking in the power and the strength of God and in the very power and presence of God. He is with the abuse. He's close to them. So back to the story, Pharaoh, he realized that these slaves, man, like they're, they're, they've escaped. And as they've escaped, now, now, now look, we don't have anybody to build our cities anymore. And we don't have anybody to clean our streets anymore. And so he sends them, you know, along with the army, you know, to go get them back. And what does he find? He finds the Israelites crossing, you know, on dry ground as God has separated the waters of the Red Sea. An ocean, a part of the ocean, he separated it. And they're walking over on dry ground. And Pharaoh and the army are like, go get them back. And they go charging down in there, arrogant and prideful. You know, like, uh, like an abuser actually is. And what happens to them? The waters come crushing down around them. And in one moment, in one minute, God destroys the abuser. 
What does this show us about God? It shows us that God protects the abused. And it reminds us that God says about himself that he is the defender of the weak. So the question is this, like, does the Bible, does the Bible give us an understanding of how we are to protect ourselves from abuse and from the, from the abuser? And I would say, yes, it's, it's actually very, very clear. I mean, just look what God has just done with his people. God has protected them from the abuser. Look at some other examples. David, David fleeing from the abuser, King Saul, from his violent, you know, desire to kill him and that abusive relationship. And he flees from that and God protects him in that process. I want you to even look at Jesus and what the angel of the Lord says to Mary and to Joseph about fleeing from King Herod and his violence and his abuse that's going to be, you know, distributed upon the Israelites to kill all the firstborn young boys to try to keep this king from rising and taking his place. Even the angel of the Lord tells the parents of Jesus, take him and flee to Egypt. So what is God's heart? God's heart is for you and for me to be protected from the abuser. That's super clear. So I would say yes, the actions of that person who is being abused has every biblical clarity and right to protect yourself from the abuser. Because that's what God is doing for his own people. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12, it says this, that a prudent person foresees danger, they foresee abuse, and they take precautions. Right? But the simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. So it's super clear that God doesn't just protect the abuser, but God also, he shuts down the abuser. It's just like, just like God defeated Pharaoh and his army. He shut down the abuser. I can say with confidence today that, that God will bring the unrepented abuser to their own demise as well. But God does that. Not, not man. God does it. I know man wants to do that, but God does it. And, um, you know, the abused that are hearing this message today should have a clear understanding that, you know, you should not feel guilty for the outcome of the abuser. They make their own choice. They make their own bed, if you can say it that way, and then they have to lie in it. Um, they will. They get what they deserve, but they get what they deserve in God's terms and in God's time. And I think that's the reason why God has made it clear in his word that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And I get it. I wish that was rewritten differently. God, I wish you wrote that differently. Like, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and you get to join me. Like, that would, that would be awesome. But that's not God's heart. And God wants us to take a different approach. He wants us to be a part of what he's doing in liberating people that are in, abu in abusive relationships. And here's one of the ways he wants us to partner with him. That since we know that God is passionate about, you know, hating abuse in all forms, we should be confident in our prayer to him. Even Jesus drove this point home when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, But I say to you who hear, which by the way, what he meant by that was this, I say to you who are willing to hear this tough teaching that's getting ready to come, and I'm even saying it to you today, that I'm saying that I'm going to read God's word to you who are willing to hear a tough teaching from God. 
love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and read those last words with me. Pray for those who... That's the heart that God wants us to have. He wants us to pray for them. Why would he want us to pray for them? Well, one, God, is try- God wants to save them. He wants to turn them spiritually around. I mean, I want you to think about, you know, a, a, a historically famous abuser in Scripture. His name was Saul. Then it got transformed to Paul. He was abusive towards Christians, abusive towards the church. He was persecuting the church, throwing them in jail and killing them. And in one moment of conversion, of a powerful encounter with the, with the Spirit of God, this man instantly starts to change and doesn't go back to those ways. In fact, he becomes one who instructs us through the New Testament more often than not. And if God can do that with, with Saul who became Paul, he can do it with abusers that are walking this earth right now. So God wants us to line our heart by praying for their salvation praying for their redemption, praying for their own internal healing, of their own insecurities, of their own fear, of their own pain, where hurt people are hurting people. God wants us to be on his page to do that. But also, God wants you to be on his page by praying for them, because when you're praying for them, you're getting your heart lined up with God. That means God's more likely to do what he needs to do in your life. That's what God does through prayer. Since we also know, here's the second thing, that since we know that God has compassion for the abused and he can miraculously deliver them, then you and me can confidently walk into an abusive situation and help them in Jesus' name and defend the, the person who's being abused in Jesus' name, knowing that God is already at work trying to defend them. Psalms 82 tells us this in verse 3 and 4. It says, give justice to the poor and the orphan." Uphold the rights of the, uh, uh, the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and the helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of what? The abuser. Deliver them from the grasp of the abuser. This is where God's heart's at. But please hear me today. This message is not a license for anyone to walk out of this service today and immediately go and divorce your spouse. And I mean that with all my heart. This message is not a message for knee-jerk reaction. This message was not designed for that purpose. We're sitting down over coffee because I wanted to educate you on God's heart towards abuse. And if you happen to be in an abusive situation, then what you need to do right now is you need to go to somebody that knows Christ, knows God's ways, and you need to open up and confess to what's going on. And you need to overcome the fear to do that. Because I know you got a lot of fear to do that. And then you need to hear biblical sound advice. And then you need to decide in your own heart, not because someone else is telling you to do something. In your own heart, you need to make the decision that you will follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. Just like the Israelites followed the voice of God out of their oppressor and their abuser. That you would follow the voice of the Holy Spirit out of that situation. As God were to lead you and guide you. But know this, you're not alone in the journey there's a church that loves you we believe that this is what God's word says and we believe that God's word is here to rescue you today amen Amen. so today look God's asking the abused to trust him for deliverance and that's a big step it's a uh, it's a fearful step it's a step into the unknown 
But it's just like the Israelites. For them to be delivered, they had to step into a place they've never stepped before. The ocean floor. A dried up ocean floor. With walls of water standing on both sides. They had to take that bold step of faith. And I'm going to tell you today, God's asking you, you're going to have to take a bold step of faith as well. And if you're ministering to somebody, you're a friend with somebody that's in an abusive relationship, they just need to know that there is a bold step into the unknown to trust God. But God is with them. Lastly, God's asking for the abused to forgive the abuser. I wanted to end with this because I think it's vital and it's important to understand that when harm and pain and abuse are inflicted from one human being to another human being, those hurts and those pains are things that sometimes we, we want to try to hang on to because we, we've, we've got this fear that if we, if we forget the hurt and the pain of the past, then maybe we're going to be doomed to repeat it again. And I would say this to you. I would say this. If you don't forgive the person who, was your, uh, who abused you, then you hang on to that hurt and that pain. It's going to hinder your ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit who is never going to guide you into a relationship that's going to be abusive. So if you hang on to the hurt and the pain and you don't forgive, you're hindering yourself from hearing the guidance of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? You're more likely to actually walk back into an abusive relationship. So is it important to forgive? Yeah. Is it vital to forgive? Yes. And it's not forgiving so that you forget because you'll never forget. It's forgiving so that you position yourself to be led by God's spirit more than maybe you ever have before in your life. So as we wrap up today, the message of hope to the, to the one who's caught in the abusive relationship. God hates abuse. God hears you today. God strengthens you today. God's close to you today. God is protecting you today. And God will shut the mouth of your abuser in his time and in his way. Your move is to take a bold step of faith towards him. And so church, can we do what the Israelites did when they heard that God had heard their cries? Can we do what they did when they found out that God knew about their misery? What did they do? They worshiped him. And on, be, on behalf of all of those, right, in our communities, whether it's in our church or living in our communities that are being abused, right, could we stand at this moment and could we just come before our all-powerful, mighty, living God and can we worship him as the rescuer of the abused? Can we worship him as the, as the one who strengthens the abused? And can we worship him that nothing goes unnoticed by God? That God will deal with the abuser, but God, more importantly, will love that, that one who's being abused. And can we come before an all-powerful, mighty God and just declare the truth of who he is, just like the elders of Israel did when they heard the good news of Jesus? Will you, do, will you join me in that? Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you right now. I want to thank you that your word is alive, it's powerful, it's true. It's heavy at times, yeah. But Lord, I'm encouraged today right now. I'm saddened by those who are caught in relationships of abuse. But I'm encouraged that through the power of the resurrected, the resurrected Jesus, that there is freedom in Jesus' name. And that Lord, that through you, that you will rescue those who are being abused. 
So Lord, right now, this church, we stand in the gap in Jesus' name. And we pray right now over our community of a church that, Lord, you would encourage those who are discouraged right now. Lord, you would encourage a community of people that are discouraged right now. And Lord, as we've walked through COVID and it seems like people have just gotten wacky and crazy, we know, God, we know right now there's more abuse in our nation than ever before. And Lord, we ask that you would protect them, you would gird them, you would watch over them, and you would strengthen them, and you would give them faith to step into the unknown, just like you gave your people faith to step into a dried up ocean bed. That you would give our community and people that are in abusive relationships faith to trust what you say. Because God, you are the rescuer. You are the one who says, vengeance is mine. You are the defender of the weak. And so Lord, we worship you because you're powerful, compassionate. Lord, you love, you love your people and you come to the rescue of your people. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' powerful name. And everybody said, amen. amen.